So we're just entering into a series Ben started us last week, and I guess to summarize, we probably we're talking about why the best we can understand God has created things the way he has, why he has established us in relationship, why he has established a community of people called the church in order to further who he is. And so today I have the task of discussing the Trinity uh, to you guys. And so uh, we're going to give a, Kent, will you throw that picture real quick? This has been helpful for me as I've tried to back up and look at, at this series as a whole. We have here a picture of the Trinity that is in the center. And by the Trinity, we mean God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, outside of that, we have deep relationships that come from that. Further on, we have a community, 10 to 12 people. Uh, friends. Then we have a gathering of people with the, of what, that have kind of the same purpose, the same mind, the same desire. A lot of times we call that the church. Uh, and then pressing outside of all of our little friendship circles and gatherings into the world. And so today we're going to talk about uh, the person of the Trinity. And uh, quickly, when we think about the Trinity, we're basically trying to dive into the identity of God. And that should be very, it should be obvious that that is very, very complex, the identity of God. Our identity as creatures is very, very complex. And so this is going to be beyond uh, what we can understand and what we can logically reason and put together. And so my, my goal is not for us to leave here today with this deep, full understanding of the Trinity. Uh, but my, my goal is that we could have uh, enough understanding that we believe in the Trinity, that we love the Trinity, that we worship the Trinity, and as a result of that, I, I truly, truly believe that it will change our lives. And so, if, if you will, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pray for our time. Gracious Father, I thank you so much for just opening your heart to us and for pouring your heart into ours, for giving us the ability, the capacity to know you, to love you, to worship you, and as a result, to express that same goodness, love, and delight to each other. We recognize that all of this happens um, because of you. And it is by your grace that we are sustained, and by your grace that we stand here, by your grace uh, that we have any ability to comprehend uh, the great love of God. And so many times in my life, Father, you use people uh, to show yourself to me, to give me a better understanding of you. And so that's why we're here today, uh, that you would um, use your word and use my words and use the songs and use interaction with people so that we might know the triune God more fully. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. So anytime that you have a greater being desiring to reveal itself to a lesser being, so God and us, uh, God is going to give us the capacity that we need to understand him, but obviously not in its fullness. And so the way that we, we know things, even on earth, with our children and as we grow, is we use language. So we, we take a word, like rock, and then when we have experiences with a rock, so whether that be seeing a rock or holding a rock or feeling a rock, uh, we begin to link the word with the object. And so if I take a three-month-old and I say rock, and then I show him a rock, there's still not going to be that connection, right? And, but as that child grows, as the brain develops, if I continue to expose that child to 
a rock visually or, or by touch, and I continually use the language, the word rock, we start to put it together, right? And pretty soon it makes sense. They know what a rock is. And so when we're talking about a being that has revealed himself by the name of God, and he is trying to give us knowledge of who he is, uh, it's the same kind of thing. He, he puts it in our capacities, and so he uses, he personifies with different language that he has given us and different language he's given the, the Hebrew writers and the, the New Testament authors. He personifies a lot of his attributes. So he says things like, I am like a rock. And we're like, oh, okay, so he's not really a rock, but he's solid, he's immovable. Or he says, I'm like a father, and we have context for that as we grow. Uh, he says, I'm a king, I'm a servant, I'm a shepherd. But we would never take one attribute or kind of descriptor of God and say, this is the fullness in all of God, right? He's, he's way beyond that. He's way beyond our language. He's way beyond my capacity to understand. So when we're thinking through the Trinity, it is God saying, Nick, I want to reveal myself to you. I want you to understand my love and who I am. Um, but just understand, you aren't going to understand the fullness of who I am, okay? Getting way too philosophical, but here's, I want to make sure we have the proper goal as we pursue the Trinity, as we have our discussion even today. Timothy Keller says, what does Timothy Keller say? <laughs> he says, the doctrine of the Trinity overloads our mental circuits. And Spurgeon says, in attempting to define the Trinity or unveil the essence of divinity, many men have lost themselves. Here great ships have foundered. What have we to do in such a sea with our frail skiffs? So even though we can't fully understand the depth and all define what the Trinity is, I really believe that we have, God has given us the ability to love him, to receive love from him, and to know him, to be in relationship with him without fully understanding him. And really, this is true to our relationships as well, right? There's people on this earth that you love, that you know that you're in a relationship, but you don't fully understand the, the fullness of who they are. And so that's, that's my desire today. And I have found just in prepping for this and studying this and asking God to kind of reveal who he is in the person of the Trinity, uh, honestly, it's been, I've been more impressed with God as I've explored the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and just how he is and how he wants to interact with me, I've been more impressed with him. And I, I believe as a result of that, my, my heart has worshipped him more, and I have hopefully loved him more, and I have come to understand really my nature more as a result of that. And so we're not going to try to fully define and understand it, but I really believe God's going to bless us in his grace with just a, a deeper worship and adoration of him. That's, why, that's what I want to happen when we leave here. If God were an individual entity, if he was uh, solo, and he decided based on whatever reason, maybe a, a lack or boredom or something, to just then create something else, um, that still speaks incredible things to the power of God. But that isn't the essence of God. God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And so for all eternity, he has been at the very core and his experience with each other relational. He has constantly loved 
And then as he creates, all of creation is an expression of that love. So we would say, to a certain extent, the essence of God is love. I looked up this word essence. It means the intrinsic nature or indispensable quality of something, especially something extract that determines its character. Or in philosophy, it says a property or a group of properties of something without which it ceases to be what it is. And so if the essence of God is love, then that is at the very core of who he is. And again, he's given us, he's given us languages that for us, we tend to separate those things a little bit. Love, God, Jesus, Holy Spirit. Um, and certainly there's their distinction between, but I want you to start thinking of this, this community and being of absolute love that, that is poured out upon us. Uh, looking back in the scriptures, there is, there is very much some different roles that the Trinity has, that they are attributed, um, some to the Spirit, some to the Son, some to the Father. But those roles, even though distinct and unique, they're never fully unique. They're never um, separated completely from the other. So uh, a quick little taste of this. Let's, let's look at creation. Uh, it says, we are created in his image, in the image of the Trinity. And so Genesis 1, 26 and 27 says this. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, over the cattle, all the earth, every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female, he created him. So basically, I think part of what this means is that we have the capacity to know, to love, and to experience his love, the triune God. That he gave us the ability and the capacity to enter in to that trinity. As a result, we are, we are, we are designed after a being that is wholly relational. And so most of us kind of already know, at the deepest core and at the very start and genesis and center of who we are, is to be relational, to know and to be known. In Genesis 1-2, this is the very beginning of the Bible, it says this, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God, Hebrew word roach, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you get this idea of, of the triune God creating and then it pulls out specifically this void darkness and the spirit was over it, uh, beginning to put order and beauty to this, this creation. So the spirit gets some credit there. Then fast forward to John, the Gospel of John, 1, 1 and through 4, says this. In the beginning was the Word, capital W, and the Word was with God. So there's some distinction, right? They're together. And the Word was God. There's the unity. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. Fast forward to verse 14, and it becomes apparent who the word is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us, son of the Father. So who's this? This is Jesus. Colossians 1 speaks very directly to this, 15 and 16. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. 
For by him, Jesus, all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. So it's exalting Jesus. So we can see that the, the Father is continually putting the Son, in some ways, on display and glorifying Him and delighting in Him. The Holy Spirit is this incredible movement or energy or life from the Father to the Son and vice versa. And so there, there's this wonderful, glorious dance in creation. And again, it says, we have been entered in, we have been invited in to that dance. And so I want to discuss a little bit of what this might look like. And if you want to, I think, kind of a very personal inside view into the interaction of the Trinity, which I believe is, is of utmost importance if we're created in that image, uh, spend some time reading John 15, 16, and 17. And you get uh, on display the heart of the Son expressed to the Father, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And, and honestly, I think if our... If our doctrine doesn't go deep into the Trinity, I don't think it goes deep enough. Because we are created in the very image of this triune God. And so spend some time exploring that. And in John 17, this is where the Son is praying to the Father. And he says this, 17 verse 24. Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Did you ever think about what the triune God was doing before he created the world? It's a kind of heady thought. But we get a picture, at least one thing we know, what they were doing before they created the world. Jesus says, because you loved me, before the foundation of the world. So we know that the Trinity was loving each other before it spoke order into the created earth that we know. John 17, 4 through 5, Jesus says, I glorify you, Father, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. So we get this picture of Jesus yielding and coming underneath the Father. And now, Father... Glorify me, elevate me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. So we have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit before the world existed for eternity past, loving each other, glorifying each other, delighting in each other. This is what Timothy Keller and so many others call the great dance of the Trinity. It's this, this, this fabulous picture of one orbiting around the other of one placing the other in the center and serving delighting loving them so in my family we are in the heart of basketball season right now so drew and josh and griffin why don't you come up here uh, god gave me kind of a visual for what this might look like and it's certainly going to fall short of the fullness of the trinity but uh, if you guys want to come over here and this is called the three-man weave, okay? And so Josh start in the middle, and you guys are going to have to just kind of do little flips and walk this way nice and slow. But this is what the three-man weave looks like. One to the other, circling around. One to the other, circling around. One to the other, circling around. You've just witnessed the Trinity in visual form, guys. Bring that back. 
Thanks, gang. But here's, here's the picture that was at least helpful to me. As one passes the asset, one gives to the other and then quickly circles around and comes back to the front, in some ways continuing to be available to the other and then quickly passes to the other and circles around continuing to serve and be available almost as if to say, what else can I do for you? What else do I need? And they're all moving in one direction. They're moving in unity towards one common goal, one common theme. And if I had to summarize that, I would say to express the love that is the being of God. And so the Trinity is a great dance of serving, delighting in each other. And then you think of what it means for us to be created in that very image. Would you throw the visual up there again? This is why we believe as a church, and this is why foundational to the Christian faith, if we are called to express the love of God to the world, when Jesus came, he said, I have come that the kingdom of God may be established. If we are called to further expand the kingdom of God, and we are created in that very image, from that fabric, it is essential that the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit be at the center of that because it is from that that everything is going to flow. So if we're going to be a community of people that love each other, if we're going to be a community of people that continue to serve our world, if we're going to allow all of the little pieces of heaven that have come down on earth through the power of the Holy Spirit, if we are going to build that here within our families, within this congregation, within Rapid City, and within the world, it is impossible to do without keeping the Trinity as the center and as the source. Thanks, Kent. What this means is that if I put myself at the center of anything, which I do often, Self-centeredness is the genesis of sin, right? And so if I put myself at the center and expect everybody else to orbit around me and I wake up and I have a plan for my day and what I want and I expect everyone to help me fulfill that, I'm trying to build my own kingdom. Selfishness is completely against the very nature of what I was created to do. And to have an understanding of God and his essence and presence three in one and that I am created in that likeness, I start to see how destructive and how unhappy and how even against my very nature selfishness is. It's not just something that, ah, we ought not to do it because we're Christians. It goes, it's, it's suicide. It goes against the very reason that you exist. Matthew 3, 16 gives us this really neat picture when Christ was on earth of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's when Jesus was being baptized. And when Jesus was baptized, this is verse 16, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. And so, again, we get this picture, just like back at the beginning of creation, 
when God was creating the world and there was water and darkness and the Spirit was hovering over, I think this is God ushering in as Jesus became flesh and began his public ministry. This is God ushering in beauty and order back into a world that was kind of void and dark and ugly. That the Spirit now is hovering over Jesus. And Jesus in his baptism is representing what? He's representing a death and a resurrection. And then we get this great statement of the Father that says, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, with whom I delight in. Going back to the Psalms, Psalms 104, 29, and 30 says this, You, God, hide your face. They are troubled. You take away their breath. They die and return to their dust. You send forth your spirit, and they are created. And you renew the face of the earth. And so you start to see this unity of the Trinity, that if his desire is to take himself and and burst it into creation, whether it be these things outside of us or these things inside of us, that he uses the Spirit of God to give us the ability to even comprehend and to know such a being. And the gateway to make God reachable to us, he sent Jesus Christ, his Son, to die in our place because I had messed up my life so much, I continued to be the center of my life. I continued to be selfish. And so in order to be invited into the dance, in order to become who I was born to be, in order to partake in the essence of love, God had to justly take my sin away and then give me his life. That's the gospel message, right? This is what Jesus says about his time on earth as he's praying. We've already read some of John 17, but here's a couple more. He says that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me. That they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you have loved me. Verse 22 of the same chapter says, Jesus says, the glory that you have given me, Father, I have given them. Brogan, hop up here once you get your coat on, okay? So here's what I'm talking about here, and here's what I think we get this great, great picture of. God wants to be known, and he has this beautiful, loving relationship with the Son and the Holy Spirit. And he wants to invite us into that oneness, so most of religion and most of Christianity, this is my son Brogan, most of religion and most of, a lot of Christianity and all other religions, they take something and they try to mimic what they see. They try to appease and please. And so it's very easy to say, this is what God's like, this is what Jesus is like, and just mimic it. Now, guess why he's wearing a black suit today? Dad wore a black suit. This guy loves mimicking. This guy loves entering in. If I cross my legs, he crosses his legs. If I stand up to sing, he stands up to sing. Thanks, buddy. However, I can't do that. <laughs> that does not go near deep enough. 
And this is why the doctrine and the prayer of Jesus, when he says, I pray that they may be one even as we are one. This is why the doctrine of the Trinity is of utmost importance to our faith. Because we cannot simply mimic Jesus. We will continually fall short. So Jesus says, because I am three in one, and because every bit of me is relational and loving and orbits around the other, I enter you, I invite you, I bring you into that dance. That's why the presence and power of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father must be within us to give us the capacity to be of the very nature of God. The Bible says that we partake in the divine nature. You cannot draw near to the Father except through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. That's Charles Spurgeon. You cannot draw near to the Father except through the Son and by the Holy Spirit. This is what Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, and this is, gets us kind of towards what it looks like for us to actually interact with the persons, members, beings of the Trinity. Galatians 4, 4 through 7 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoptions as sons. And, become, and because you are sons because you've been invited and brought into the dance. God has sent his, the spirit of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father, so you are no longer slaves but sons, and if sons, then heirs through Christ. See, we were designed to center our lives around God, and God has continually allowed the other pieces and beings and people of the Holy Spirit to center his life and orbit around them. And when Christ came to earth, you realize that at that time he, has, he, he was doing what he's always done, loving, serving, and delighting in others. But all of a sudden, when Christ comes to earth, who's at the center? He puts us at the center. And he orbits around us. And he serves us. And he dies for us. Think of the reality that God is more humble than I am. So the very nature of God being other-centered, and all of a sudden he places us there so that we might become partakers of this incredible dance. That's the gospel. That is the only way that the kingdom of God is going to express itself through you and through me. It's to take hold of that invitation. To recognize that God delights in you like he delights in the Son. That the Holy Spirit and the movement and the action of God can act and move and live through you. That the Son, our King, fully man, is fully God and reigns forevermore. In Philippians 2, we are encouraged to be of the same mind as Christ. And as Christ placed others before him and served others to the point of death, it says, I too want you to consider others more than yourself. Basically what that means is, Nick, 
your flesh and you have a tendency to forever keep you at the center and expect everyone else to orbit. I want you to do what Jesus did and to put others at the center and try to orbit and toss them the ball. You see that? This is what Jesus has done on earth because this is what the Trinity has always done. This is what Charles Spurgeon says. It says that God has made our hearts a triangle. And man has forever been trying to fill that space with the globe. It is impossible to do. God made our hearts a triangle to have the triune God fill. And as a result of that, we will express him to the globe. So my challenge, my encouragement, my my action point is to place God at the very center of everything that you do and everything that you are and everything that you're about and everything that you're building. God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit must be at the center of your life. And to fight like crazy tooth and nail to continue to get yourself out of it to continue to crucify yourself, continue to die to self, continue to die to self-centeredness, continue to die from standing on self-righteousness and recognize that everything necessary to become part of this dance, to become part of the Trinity has been done for you. Praise God. Our job is to simply say yes, to enter in, and to continue to kick myself out and keep him at the center. I'm so glad that I have the opportunity to partner with him in that. And perhaps even more secure for me is that he will accomplish that work in you and in me. That God will reign. But as we encourage one another, as we challenge each other, as we remind each other, who we are and what we were made for and what we were designed for. Let's constantly keep Christ, the Holy Spirit, and God the Father at the center. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we exalt you and we praise you and we honor you for being a perfect God. And we're so grateful that by your mercy and total grace that you have decided to allow us to know you, that you have invited us into yourself. I pray that all the things that we do in life, whether it be very mundane, very joyous, or struggle, that we would begin to see the greater picture of God establishing his kingdom in our hearts, in our relationships, in Rimrock Church, in our cities, and in our world. We continue to surrender ourselves to you, knowing that is the very best place we can be. So help us to delight in you. Help us to love you by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us to serve, delight, and love others. And recognize that in the process, in the meantime, we become so happy and so joyful. We thank you so much for your goodness.
And we ask that you would continue to just simply explode yourself through your creation that is man and woman. Amen.